Matthew 1, 23, and John 14, 25 through 27. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, a son, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his son Emmanuel, which means God with us. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you to, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Not, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes I feel like that I begin sermons with confessions. One is that I'm parched. The second one is that um, at a time in my life, there was a moment where I really loved reality TV, like all sorts of reality TV, any number, really, of reality TV. Now, that doesn't tell you what was going on in my life and why I wanted to escape in the way to watch this reality TV, but sadly, I can name lots of people and lots of characters and even have to admit that there were moments where I watched marathon sessions of certain reality TV shows where they showed them back to back to back to back and would just allow myself to sort of sit there and drown in them. But one thing, if you've ever encountered a reality TV show, you have learned that there's no reality that is taking place in those shows. As a matter of fact, a lot of them are manipulated in a way and some even as far as scripted in order for us to feel drama or excitement or who the villain is or who the, 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 uh, you know, the savior is. And, and we kind of get wrapped up in all of that. Perhaps the only real reality TV show that exists right now is that show called, is it Google Box or Goggle Box, where people just sit there and watch TV? Have you seen that show? What is that about? Just sit there and watch TV. Perhaps that's actually the closest thing that we have to reality. And the truth of the matter is, we know that's not reality, even from the outset. Because when we look at our lives, and we look at where we live, and we see what happens around us, we know reality looks a lot different. That while there's drama about somebody put something in the peanut butter, or somebody did this, or they're stealing my shears, and I can't actually cut my fabric for my, you know, that's not really drama. If we look at our own lives in a microcosm or even in sort of a big way in the world, we see all sorts of reality that comes crashing in on us daily. Some of that reality is so large that we think there's no way that we can possibly endure it. Some of that reality is so large yet so individualized just to us. Many of you know we've put in our worship folder for the last several weeks about the men on Manus Island that we want the government to evacuate. We want them to get off of there into a safe place. And that just seems overwhelming, right? In reality, how can we even help that? But at the same time, my car starter didn't work. Or I don't have enough money in my account to put enough money on my Transperth card to be able to get to that doctor's appointment that I'm going to. And just like that sort of 
oh, getting these men off of Manus is so large, that's so large to us as well. And it's at that moment that we enter into Advent. <laughs> it's at that moment that we enter into this Christmas time season. And in Christmas, what ends up happening is we begin to watch movies and we begin to remember memories and we begin to look at things that sort of bring this magical mystery of Christmas, right? Think, think of uh, Home Alone, an old movie. Home Alone, Kevin somehow is saved by his own wiles and then his parents somehow get back from Paris. Trust me, I've done those flights. You can't do it so quickly to be there on Christmas, and then the whole family's there. Our miracle on 34th Street. Maybe not bad Santa. That maybe doesn't show a good, good side of miracles of Christmas. But we have this sort of image that there's something special and magical about this time. And so in that setting, we begin to hear the story of this Christ child, this Jesus who comes into the world. And it's very easy for us to think that's magical and mystical. That's just part of that. Things get made right at Christmas time. But the reality of the world is things don't get made right. The reality of the world is that I still can't afford to put money on my transbirth card. And we think that can't be true. Over the next few weeks, hopefully what we're going to experience is this promise that we heard from Matthew. God with us. God with us. Not God in a throne judging us, but God with us. Not God distantly away after he's created this thing and just sort of sits back and watches it and goes, hmm, that's interesting. But God with us. And I want to tell you something, that it is magical and mysterious and mystical and a great mystery for us. But it's the truth story. It is God with us. And we'll see it revealed to us in His faithfulness, in joy, in hope, and in love. One of the ways that I've been trying to think about this uh, as we've gotten ready for this is that it is God for us, God alongside of us, and God within us. We talk about that as a trinity. So you've heard us say the word triune today. That's trinity, trinity, three in one. How God somehow exists in some way. This trinity, this triune God, this Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is God for us, as God is in redemptive pursuit of us. It is God alongside of us in Christ who makes that pursuit possible and actually completes it in his death, burial, and resurrection. And God within us, the Holy Spirit that resides for all of us to grab hold of and know that not only is it in us, but we are in it. So what we'll see is this faithfulness, joy, hope, and love in God's redeeming, redeeming pursuit to bring us into whole relationship with himself, ourselves, all others, and place. But when we think about God, I want to give you a quote that's from Leonardo Boff. And he says this. I have to be able to read it. Speaking of God must always mean the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the presence of one another, in total reciproc reciprocity, 
in immediacy of a loving relationship, being one for one another, by one another, in one another, and with one another. So when we hear in the Old Testament that God says, you will be my people and I will be your God, that's that God. It's the Trinitarian God, the triune God. When we see that promise of Emmanuel, God with us, that's that triune God, that three-in-one God, the God who is for us and beside us, with us and in us. And when we hear that promise in John that Jesus says the Holy Spirit's coming, that I will not leave you as an orphan, I will bring you to myself and adopt you into my family, that is the triune God, this God that is with us. And that God is a faithful God. Just one circumstance in Psalm 100, verse 5. The writer of that psalm is thinking through all that God has done and where he has been and how he has interacted, this triune God. And he says this. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness is to all generations. So today, as we think about faithfulness, we see it coming to us in this triune God who moves in a way throughout all of history, throughout all time and space, to gather us in to his community, to gather us in to the place where he rests. So what is this faithfulness of the triune God? How does it look for us? What does it seem to be? Well, one of the things is this. We know that this faithfulness means that he is true to himself. That is, he has established, I am the triune God, that I am in this loving, giving, always receiving relationship unto myself. That I am faithful to that. And that I have, in my goodness, chosen to pursue you and bring you in. That I created you, and I know you, and I love you, and I want you in this relationship with me. He will always be faithful about doing that. And to me, it sounds a lot like hospitality. Really, the triune God in his faithfulness, to me, that pursuit and that purpose seems to be a lot like hospitality. It's the giving of self with open heart and open hand. It's the seeing that there is no other but there are those that I long to be with. Can you imagine the triune God and His faithfulness saying, there is no other, those, but those I long to be with. And we move into that place, that place of saying, I will not be loved alone, but that I will love, that I will give and be hospitable. Lauren Weiner is a lady that wrote a great book called A Mudhouse Sabbath. And in it, she says this about hospitality. It says, Christians and Jews hold in common one theological basis for, relationship, for hospitality. Creation. Creation is the ultimate expression of God's hospitality to his creatures. In the words of one rabbi, everything God created is a manifestation of his kindness. The world is one big hospitality in. And as church historian Amy Auden has put it, 
God offers hospitality to all humanity by establishing a home for all. To invite people into our homes is to respond with gratitude to God who made us and made a home for us. Now, I would say she maybe overstates that creation is the thing that shows hospitality the most. I don't disagree with her because I do believe that in creation, God's created a place for us. He's made it our home for now for him. That he's designed it for us to give us good pleasure within it. That we can't look at the world and say, oh, it gives me all bad things. It does sometimes. But sunrises and sunsets, the role of the ocean, which I'm so glad that I live here to be able to see. The fact that there are plants that bloom here that I have never seen before. The fact that there is light that brings warmth. The fact that there is evening for me to get rest. The fact that there are way out animals and animals that I can ride. The fact that there is food which right now, quite honestly, is a big thing for me because I'm on this metabolic diet where I can eat hardly anything. But don't I look good? I'm getting healthy. But steak, let's just say it, butter, just butter. The goodness of creation and that sort of welcoming in. But I would dare say that the, the best way that God shows his hospitality The best way is when he says, it's not good enough for me to be separated. I will be one of them and with them. And that's what we celebrate. This little baby that we're talking about, Jesus, he comes, God incarnate. And hospitality breaks forth on a whole new level that says, I can't get enough of you. I can't wait to be with you. I want to bring you into the place that I am. And so while I agree, creation is a beautiful way that God has expressed hospitality for us, and I'm so grateful for the gifts that are in it, even more so, hospitality reaches down in his faithfulness and says, I will make you whole. You can know me and know yourself, know everyone around you, and know the place that I have put you. You can love me and love yourself and love all others and love the place that I have put you. You can rejoice in me, even rejoice in yourself, rejoice in the wonder of all others, and rejoice in the place that I have put you. Because that hospitality runs forth. So here's the next thing that she says. In the Christian doctrine, the Trinity, we find another resource for hospitality. The Trinity shows God in relationship with himself. Our three-in-one God has welcomed us into himself and invited us to participate in divine life. And so this invitation that we as Christians extend to one another and all others is not simply an invitation into our homes or to our tables. What we ask of other people is that they enter in to our lives. Faithfulness of God is him inviting us in to his life, to be there. Faithfulness actually equals hospitality. It is God with us. It is God beside us. It is God 
in us. And it moves us to live our lives of openness and hospitality. It moves us to live lives where we are more than willing to see no other but those we want to know and those that we want to love. It moves us to a place where we recognize God's faithfulness is so broad and so hospitable that we can't help to want together all those around us. When I was a young pastor, one of the things that we would have to do is, um, and I say do like it was a task, it wasn't a task. But we would go and visit folks who were um, in homes that, that needed um, the Lord's Supper. And we would take them. And I was at a large church, and so I did it maybe once every seven months because there were enough people to go do it other times. But there was a moment in my life that I went to this home and I walked in and there was Russ Blowers. Now Russ Blowers had been a pastor for many years and his wife Miriam was there. And it was a special home for her to be in because she didn't remember anything. And she didn't remember Russ. And she certainly didn't remember me. And so I walked in and I had my little, little thing that had a little juice and a little bread. And I was going to sit down. And, and Russ, who'd been a pastor at the church that I was at for over 40 years, said, do you mind if I do it? And I said, no, it's my job. No, I didn't say that. I said, yes, of course, please do it. So here's Miriam, who doesn't really know what's happening, doesn't understand what's taking place. And Russ sets aside the elements, and he brings to her lip the bread, and he says, here, honey, you need to eat this. And she eats it, not knowing fully what it is. And then he takes the cup, and he says, here, honey, you need to drink this. She can't really drink it. She can't even hold it. And so he tips it up to her lip and most of it doesn't even get into her mouth. It kind of comes down and he very gently wipes it away. And at that moment, it's one of the clearest visions of the triune God I've ever seen. Because it's God going, I know you don't even know what's happening. I know you can't even comprehend the mystery of what is taking place. But you need to eat this. And you need to drink this. Because it is my faithfulness. It is my life. It is my opening up to you. I'm so thankful that I was able to do that. But God does the same for us. That is his faithfulness, his hospitality, that he comes to us and gives himself completely. And doesn't just leave it there. He says, I will never leave you. <laughs> he gives it fully and completely. So, when the reality of the world is hitting in, which it does, and we begin to hope and think and 
dream that something will be different this Christmas, I pray that you will hear it already is. That the faithfulness of God is found in His hospitality towards you and me. But let me give you this challenge. That really means we should live as people of hospitality. That means we should be people who are open hands and open hearts. And that when we begin to see ourselves closing down, when we begin to see ourselves wanting to categorize things or wanting to say, oh no, no, it only has to be this way or that way, then you and I, as people who are gathered together, need to say, check yourself. Are you living in the hospitality and the faithfulness of God? Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. You are holy and pure and right. Let us grab hold of your faithfulness that is to us and for us and your hospitality towards us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.